Uh, just to pick up on what I was saying earlier with the, the children, if you <coughs> imagine that you've been traveling in the, in the dark, that you're in a part of Scotland that you don't know very well, thank you very much, David, you're, or maybe in a foreign country like Caithness, and uh, you're not driving, you're in the back of the bus and it's dark and it's raining and your friend asks you, where are we? And you say, I haven't a clue, I can't see a thing. But as I was saying to the children, the good news is that the driver knows where you are. The driver can see the way ahead. And the driver knows where the road ahead is going to take you. They are able to bring you home to take you to your destination. And sometimes, of course, in life, it does feel as if we're traveling in the dark. We're not sure where we are. And we're not sure what lies ahead of us. And it's raining heavily in our lives. Parts of the road ahead of us are underwater. They look as if they're in danger of being washed away and we're facing difficulties, we're facing problems, we're facing maybe even opposition for our Christian faith. And to that, as Christians, we can say, thank God for the book of Daniel. For the book of Daniel shows us a God who is in the driving seat, a God who is in control and who knows the way ahead. A God who is wise and powerful. So even though we do not know the future, we can know and trust the one who holds the future in his hands, as we sang earlier. Now we saw a couple of weeks ago when we said that the big theme of Daniel is that God is in control despite appearances, at whatever our circumstances, God is in control. And if that is the big message of the book overall, the the aim of the book, the purpose of the book is to encourage us, the people of God, to trust God and to stay true to him whatever our circumstances. And this great story, this dramatic story in chapter 2 helps us to do that by showing us the wisdom and the power of God. It shows us the God in heaven who is the revealer of mysteries. And it shows us why God is able to reveal mysteries. It is because he knows all things. It is because he controls all things, even the future. And even as we shall see next week, the rise and fall of nations and the kingdoms and governments and rulers of this world. So let's dive into chapter 2. I'm going to look at these verses under four sections and then a couple of questions at the end if we have time to address those. (coughs) Excuse me. The first section is verse 1 to 13. (coughs) Excuse me. That will sound well in the podcast, won't it? The first first section is verses 1 to 13. I've called this a disturbing dream and a deadly danger. A disturbing dream and a deadly danger. And we'll look at this under three subheadings. Firstly, verse 1 to 3. The most powerful man in the world is powerless. The most powerful man in the world is powerless. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. He may be the most powerful man in the known world at that time, but he is still just a man. He still has nights when he cannot sleep. And this night he cannot sleep because of the dreams that he has had and he is troubled by them. These are not comforting dreams. These are disturbing dreams. 
but he does not know what they mean. So he summons the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. But when they come and understand, he says to them, I've had a dream that troubles me. I want to know what it means. It's a picture of the most powerful man in the Babylonian Empire. He is powerless in the face of this dream. But then secondly, verse 4 to 11, this is still under the first heading of the disturbing dream and a deadly danger. The second subheading is that the wisest men in the world are clueless. Verse 4 to 11, the wisest men in the world are clueless. The astrologers say, may the king live forever. Tell us your dream. We'll interpret it. The king says, no, this is what I firmly decided. I'm not going to tell you the dream, but if you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. This is what life is like under a dictator, under a tyrant. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honors to tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Now, we don't know why Nebuchadnezzar didn't tell them the dream. Perhaps he had been, to use a good Scots word, scunnered by their interpretations in the past and mixed messages and things that sometimes came true and sometimes didn't come true. It seems he did know what the content of the dream was because he says, tell me the dream at the end of verse 9 and I will know that you can interpret it for me. But if you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you, verse 9. And not surprisingly, in verse 10, the astrologers, the stargazers, they want to look at the chicken livers. They answer the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. There is the heart of the dilemma. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. There's a hint of a rebuke there, isn't there? That's a dangerous thing to do to a tyrant. You're being unreasonable, King Nebuchadnezzar. No one, what the king asks is too difficult, verse 11. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. Where are they? They don't live among humans. And the king was not a happy chap with that answer. He was so angry and furious. And this is the third heading, verse 12 to 13. The king is frustrated and furious and deals the sentence of death. He's so angry and furious. He's frustrated. He's frustrated and he's furious. He's also, it seems, a bit fearful. He's been troubled by his dream. He doesn't know what it means and the wise men can't tell him what it means. So he's frustrated, he's fearful, and it as it often does when we're frustrated and fearful, it can overspill into anger at others. But Nebuchadnezzar's anger is of a different order. <laughs> He's so angry and so furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree, the order was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death as well. A disturbing dream and a deadly danger. There is the sentence of death hanging over Daniel and his friends and indeed all the other wise men of Babylon. So that's the first section, verse 1 to 13. A disturbing dream and a deadly danger. Secondly then, verse 14 to 19a, Daniel steps forward and looks upward. 
Daniel steps forward and looks upwards. Look at verse 14. And again, some subheadings here. We see in verses 14 and 15, the wisdom of Daniel. The wisdom of Daniel. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked Arioch, why did the king issue such a harsh or possibly hasty decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. Do you see the wisdom of Daniel here? He doesn't panic. He doesn't grab Arioch by the lapels, if he had any lapels, and say, what's going on here? Why is this happening? This is crazy. Stop it. He doesn't panic and he doesn't explode. He doesn't demand. He wasn't in any position to demand. But he doesn't demand that this must change. This can't happen. This terrible decision. He speaks with wisdom and tact. Then secondly, note as well as the wisdom of Daniel, the courage of Daniel in verse 16. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Was that not a courageous thing to do? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar may have simmered down a little bit by this time, but he's still angry, no doubt, and frustrated and fearful. And Daniel's not asking for an open-ended time. He's asking here for a time to be appointed. And as the story goes on, I would guess, I don't know for certain, but I would guess that Nebuchadnezzar gave him something like 12 hours or maybe 24 hours, an appointed time. You have 24 hours, Daniel, to tell me the dream. You see the courage of Daniel. The wisdom of Daniel, the courage of Daniel in verse 16. And then verses 17 and 18, you see the humility of Daniel. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matters to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Why is this? Why does this show the humility of Daniel? Well, look back at chapter 1, verse 17. We see in chapter 1, verse 17, that Daniel and his three friends had been given knowledge and understanding by the God of heaven. And it tells us that Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So he could have said, well, I've got this gift. God has given me this gift. I don't need, uh, I don't need to ask anybody. I don't even need to pray about it. Just uh, trust in that. But no, he shares the problem with his friends. And not only does he share the problem, he shares the praying. He urges them. He urges them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Yes, he's been given great learning and wisdom and understanding. He's been given the ability to understand visions and dreams, but he still comes to pray and to to urge others to pray with him and on their behalf, on his behalf. Pray, pray, plead for mercy from the God of heaven. And friends, I know some of us are more private as individuals than others. Some of us just like to share everything. Others are more, keep things more closely. But it is good to share. We don't need to share everything. But when there are problems in their lives, to be able to share them within the family of faith and with our brothers and sisters in Christ is, is a good thing to do. Not that it becomes an object of gossip or 
anything like that. But that so we can pray for each other. So that we can pray for each other. We cannot pray for each other if we do not know what we need to pray for. So let me encourage you to let me encourage you to find someone. It doesn't need to be all of us, but find someone you can share your problems with, a Christian brother or sister, and ask them to pray with you and for you. We were never meant to live the Christian life as solo flyers, you know. Daniel shares the problem and together they share the bring. They pray to the God of heaven, the sovereign God, the sovereign God of heaven and earth. And what do they pray for? They pray for, what do they pray for? What do they pray for? Plead for mercy. They pray for mercy. Is it a waste of time to pray to the God of heaven for mercy? What do you think, Joshua Finley? Is it a waste of time to pray to the God of heaven for mercy? It's not, is it? And we know that because the God of heaven is the God who delights to show mercy. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Call on me in the day of trouble, the psalmist says, Psalm 50, verse 17. Sorry, Psalm 50, verse 15. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. We don't know how God will work his deliverance. We don't know the timing of God's deliverance, but that is a promise in Scripture. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. And in verse 19, what do we read? That during the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. God heard their prayers. God heard their cries for mercy. God revealed the mystery of the dream to them. God delivered them. Daniel steps forward and looks upward. But then thirdly, what Daniel did next, verse 19b to 24. When I was younger, there were books around the house called What Katie Did. Some of you may remember them, What Katie Did, and then What Katie Did Next. I don't know whether you've ever read them, Katie, or not, but What Katie Did and What Katie Did Next. So here's what Daniel did next. Now, what would you do? What would you and I do if you were under a sentence of death and your friends were under a sentence of death from the king and all the colleagues, your lecturers who had trained you, because presumably some of these men had trained Daniel and his friends, they were under a sentence of death and you got the answer, you got the thing in your hand that was going to save you from death. What would you be tempted to do? To run straight to the king. Say, wait king, stop. I know what your dream is and what it means, but Daniel did not do that first of all, did he? He does two things before he goes to tell the king the meaning of his dream. He does two things, and he does them in order. What does he do? First of all, he praises the God of heaven, verse 19b, through to verse 23. He praises the God of heaven. What did we just read there? I just quoted the verse from Psalm 50, wasn't it? I will deliver me, and you will honor me. You will honor me. That is what Daniel is doing. He praises the God of heaven. Remember the story of the ten lepers whom Jesus healed? And how many came back to say thank you? Just one, and he was a Samaritan, not even a Jew. Jesus says, were, the, were, there, not ten, were there not ten healed? Where, where are the other nine? 
James 5 verse 13 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And Daniel and his friends have been in trouble and they have prayed. Their prayers have been answered. So Daniel now first and foremost sings a song of praise. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. In your light, Lord, we see light. We sang Psalm 139. Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you, Lord. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Verse 23 of Daniel 2. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. What Daniel did next, well, the first thing he does is praise the God of heaven for hearing their cries for mercy. But the second thing he does before he goes to see the king, this is verse 24, he saves the lives of the not-so-wise wise men of Babylon. He saves the lives of the not-so-wise wise men of Babylon. Verse 24, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Now, do you see here a picture of mercy and grace? Do you see that? These are enemies of the God of heaven. These are pagan idolaters. And yet in his mercy, the God of heaven saves them, saves their lives through Daniel, the one, the one through whom God has revealed his wisdom. That points us forward to Jesus Christ, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the one who has become for us wisdom from God in order to save the enemies of God, people like you and me, sinners, who by nature are objects of God's wrath. And yet God reveals his wisdom in Jesus, even greater than Daniel, to save the lives of those who by nature are his enemies. Sinners who are under the sentence of death, not because of a king's bad temper and a sleepless night, but because of the just and righteous wrath of God. And yet God in his mercy raises up his son, this man of wisdom, so that the enemies of God might be saved. Folks, I'm just about halfway through the sermon, but I keeping an eye on I think I'm just going to leave it there. We'll stop there for today and we'll come back to it. It's a good note to end on, on the grace of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one full of the wisdom of God, the one through whom God has revealed, if you like, the mystery of the gospel, that God has come in Jesus Christ to save us 
whether we are Jew or Gentile. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, this great story. We thank you for the, the way that you were able to do through Daniel what the gods of Babylon could not do. That when the king of Babylon was powerless and the wise men were clueless, you used Daniel, full of wisdom, full of courage, full of humility, not only to bring about their own deliverance, but the deliverance of the other wise men, pagan, godless idolaters, by your mercy. Father, we thank you that we too can turn to the God of heaven and plead for mercy. We thank you for Jesus, the one who is and has become for us your wisdom. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. And we thank you, Father, that through him we are delivered from death and brought to life and able to trust and worship you as the God of wisdom and power who holds the future and all things in your gracious and powerful hands. Amen. Thank you.